Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Well, hello, friends. Welcome to the <laughs> podcastus with the mostus. I don't know. Yeah, you know, we, we, we talk about the introductions a lot, and I, I always think of what I'm going to say at the beginning of them, and then the moment comes, and I just totally whiff. <laughs> it's, as, it's as bad as my golf game, which I'm about ready to experience the pain of again because it's getting nice out. And so I get the urge to go out there and pretend like I know what I'm doing, um, and, and I'm, I'm really horrible. But there are a couple other priests um, in the area that are really good, and they take me with them. I think mostly for entertainment. Uh, <laughs> so kind of suspicious of that invitation, but it is a good time. Anyway, welcome to Godsplaining. I'm today's host, uh, Father Patrick Mary Briscoe, joined by my co-host. I guess you're the other host. You're not the guest. Yep. This isn't guest-splaining. Uh, Father Gregory Maria Pine. Yeah, Father Gregory, regular what's the latest guest. from your studies abroad? What is the latest from my studies abroad? Um, let's see. Uh, we are here in the month of March, and things in March are just about the same as you would expect. Although, you know, we had like a little bit of a warm snap. That's like a cold snap, except the opposite. Uh, but now we're heading back into like a week and a half of projected snow. So that'll be good. Be very festive. It'll be like life back in the snow globe. Uh, so I'd say that I'm looking forward to that, except... Uh, it leaves me, I was about to say cold, but that would have been a terrible pun. It leaves me Ooh. unmoved on account of the fact that I spend most of my days sitting at a desk. And what transpires outside my window really doesn't matter that much for Christology. So I'd say life uh, life just continues along. Just plugging. I mean, that's the great thing about Thomism, right? The cold analogies work well. You know, we sort of, Thomas, I guess, move at a glacial pace. <laughs> you know, like, don't, get, don't get in a hurry to make a new distinction. You know, think about it. Ex- exactly. Yeah, whenever slowly. people are like, things are really bad, or things are really good, or things are filling whatever adjective that seems novel, it's like, well, let's see about this. And then we just wait it out. That's the move. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, because I got outvoted, we're not doing an episode on St. Patrick today. I wanted all the Lenten <laughs> episodes, actually, to be about St. Patrick. But t- <laughs> today, we're doing the virtue of justice. We're continuing our Lenten series as we unpack the virtues. Um, so we've approached the theological virtues, and now we moved into um, the cardinal moral virtues, that is, the virtues that pertain um, to the, uh, the human heart, um, particularly as humans are able to, to judge and to know well according to our ability, and all of these virtues are infused and strengthened by God's grace. So we've kind of got two things going on here, things that are, things that are co-natural to us and things that are uh, made natural to us by God, which is pretty incredible work. Uh, Father Gregory, where do you think we need to start this conversation on justice? How would you situate it? I think, well, a lot of people, when they give talks about stuff, they're like, this talk is about, you know, flippity-choppity. Number one, Merriam-Webster's dictionary says that flippity-choppity can be defined in these three ways. I've never actually heard a talk about flippity-choppity, but people usually start with definitions. And sometimes I'm critical of that, but I find myself doing it often. So maybe we could start with the definition that justice is the constant and perpetual will to give another what is his or her due. So it's a virtue. So it's a constant uh, and perpetual will, which is to say it's, it's a habit, it's a, it's a settled disposition. And what is a concern? It concerns what is due to another, and it makes it or it empowers you so that you will render to the other what is his or her due. So yeah, maybe we could start there. 
Yeah, I think right away you've you've set you've set the stage that is different than how most of us think about justice today culturally as a point of fact, um, because a lot of us immediately set up justice as a contact of rights, don't we? We yeah. are Americans and we have rights and we have strong we have a strong sense or at least used to um, a strong sense of individual <laughs> rights and um, and the things that are due to us and the things that are ours. And so we like to consider ourselves as uh, being very autonomous, being very independent. And part of that is our history. Part of that is the kind of um, the kind of uh, kind of American um, sensibility of things. And part, part of that is the actual state of American law. Um, how is this view of justice? I mean, like saying that someone has a claim on another different than um, this kind of post-Enlightenment um, view of one's own personal right that, that kind of swims in our American culture, or that we swim in, rather, because we are the ones swimming in the American culture. It's true. Um, yeah, I think the... Well, not the you kind so of, much in Freeburg. Yeah, I'm not a big swimmer. <laughs> Never have been. Um, I come of Irish stock, afraid of swimming. Um, so... Yeah, I think that the move in the 21st century is to typically think about what other people owe me. And so we look to the state or we look to the church or we look to our family with an expectation that they give us stuff. Um, You know, like I remember in high school, we were in high school right about the time where people either did or did not have cell phones. It wasn't yet obligatory in society. And if you deferred getting a cell phone or if your cell phone possessing was deferred a little bit after your peers... Eventually, people started to be like, yeah, like, what's wrong with you? Like, what's wrong with your family? You know, the world owes you a cell phone, buddy, so get one. Um, so I think that our, our sensibilities are such that we feel ourselves entitled, whereas the, the, kind of, the kind of sensibility for generations before the Enlightenment would have been that you are born into relationships and that in those relationships, you owe another person, you owe the other people, or you owe the other party, you know, their due. What is their, what are their just desserts? So I think it's, it's basically not, not completely contrary to, but it it just moves in the opposite direction as perhaps it might have, uh, or or perhaps it did previously. So what is, what are some of these relationships, you say very vaguely, we're born into relationships. Okay. So when you say language like that, the first person that I think of would be my mother and then my Mm -hmm. father. Mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of my students here at Providence College were uh, haranguing priests, asking whether or not we called our mothers on International Women's Day to thank mm-hmm. them for giving birth to us. Um, I said no because my mother would hang up. <laughs> she would ask me. She would ask me what what was I doing offering offering such a word on such a day, and you know that's just because of our dynamic. Other mothers, other mothers, you know, warmly warmly received the call. Um, but there is, there's certainly a sense of, of owing things to our parents, right? And we celebrate them on Mother's Day and Father's Day properly and many other days as they apply to our parents. Um, so we, so we, have a sense of, we have a sense of debt and gratitude to them. I think Aquinas even says that we have a, a quasi-infinite debt to our parents that we can never really pay back um, what they have done for us. Um, so, so what of this relationship, what, what of other relationships, what, what is it exactly that you're claiming that we're born into? Sure. Yeah, when when Joseph Pieper, who um, lived in the middle of the 20th century, who loved St. Thomas, who wrote books that make St. Thomas a little more accessible and a little more popular, when he writes about justice, he says that justice, um, it presumes a first gift, uh, and that's the way that he describes creation. So the fact that we exist is not due to us. It is a gift. So God doesn't owe us our being. God chooses to create us, 
but that's uh, that's something that he does freely. It's a uh, it's gratuitous, I guess would be a word that other people might use to describe that act. And um, God doesn't owe us supernatural life, right? But he gives it to us again freely. He gives it to us gratuitously. Uh, God doesn't owe us heaven on account of the fact that he made us as he did and that we are kind of marked or touched with a desire for heaven, with a trajectory, like a kind of human trajectory towards heaven. God kind of owes it to himself to give us what we need to get there or to provide us with what is sufficient to get there. But I think that the the point of mentioning or rehearsing all these things is simply to say that our, our very existence is premised upon a gift, is premised upon a first act of graciousness. And so that first relationship gives shape or orders everything else that's downstream of it. So first, I mean, the, the first person to, ho- to whom we owe a debt of gratitude or a debt of justice is, is God. And then, like you said, our parents, they image uh, in their family setting kind of what God does for the whole universe, and in a certain extended way, too, our country. Um, It's not an especially patriotic time. The 21st century is not, uh, except perhaps by reaction to its unpatriotism. (laughs) Sometimes it has a tendency to be like vehemently anti-anti-patriotic, which is a fascinating dynamic. Uh, but but also there's a sense in which we're born into a place, we're born into a country which which gives us stuff, right? Which makes us to be who we are, even if we wouldn't, you know, necessarily choose all the ins and outs of it. We have to be grateful for the fact that we can practice our faith freely and that, you know, though we are taxed, it's not as oppressively burdensome as it is in other places, like some countries where one of the hosts of this episode lives, you know, which country starts with a swi and ends with an Itzerland, like things like that, you know, not to mention any names. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe just to start with those relationships, God, country, parents. Yeah. Okay. But immediately, you know, there, there comes a difficulty, right? You've said justice is a constant, a constant and perpetual will to give to another their due, right? Um, God is due everything and Mm -hmm. I, I, I can't give God everything. So what gives Father Gregory? Yeah. Great question. I think, um, there's a difference between, well, two mentalities, with which one can approach justice. You can either think about it as trying to get rid of your burden of debt. Uh, if you've seen that episode of The Office, you learn that Andy Bernard uh, can't be indebted to anyone. And so if you give him a gift, he immediately gives you an equal, like a proportionate thank you gift. And so the other people in the office figure this out, and then he's stuck in this constant cycle of giving thank you gifts. Right? That's that's not the point of justice. The point of justice isn't to be even with people so that way they don't have a claim on you. The point of justice is to acknowledge the claim that others have on you, um, and in a certain sense, to like offer it back in gratitude or in praise in the case of God, uh, because that's actually formative, right? It's formative for you to be a person of praise, to be a person of gratitude, because that's the disposition with which we should approach our relationships, the kind of recognition that this is given to me, I don't deserve it, and yet here it is, so thank you. Uh, or I will render my debt uh, in the form of generosity, in the form of liberality, in the form of, you know, any number of ways in which we can do so. So I think, yes, with respect to God, there's, there's no equality to be, to be found, or there's no kind of proportion to be resolved in that relationship. You'll never be square with God. It's like, cool, all right, you made me, 
You gave me everything uh, that I am and that I do. Uh, you fashioned me in grace. You called me to supernatural life. Everything, right, every good and perfect gift comes down to me from you. What do I have that is not my own? If therefore, whatever, dot, dot, dot. Okay. So, but but I think we're good. You know, it's been 32 years and I would say that I've been pretty pious. So let's call it even. If God were to call it even with us, we would drop out of existence. <laughs> Smite. <laughs> Smite. Yeah, I think Smite um, smoke. I mean, it's it's been said otherwise. Heck, I've probably said it on the podcast before because it's 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 one of those things that is just so captured my mind um, that that there is no there is no way that we are ever going to be able to impress God, and mm. this must be rooted out constantly um, in the spiritual life. So some some people talk some people talk about it as um, nursing the self ego, right, preferring one's own will um, to the will of God. Okay, and this is one manifestation of it. But another way is when we when we think that somehow we're going to be able. As we as we're discussing here, as we're we're going to be able to call it even with God, you know. Okay, you know, thank you, Lord. I've I've done enough now, right? Um, but it's just not the case because everything first comes from Him. So so the the fundamental inequality of this relationship can be likened to the way that a child does things to impress their parent, right? Like so, you have you have the five year old that comes home from kindergarten and draws a drawing of the family, and the drawing that the five year old has produced is a collection of indiscriminate squiggles. Is completely, mm-hmm. <laughs> completely indiscernible who who is it, who is actually being represented and why. Um, but the parent looks on the drawing with love because the child has done it for them, and this is basically the equivalent of the kinds of things we're actually able to to render to God. Um, uh, and the Lord, out of His again abundance, um, looks on these things uh, with great love. He indulges us, you know, the way that a parent indulges a child um, for having. For having drawn us quickly lined family portrait. Yeah. I think from a distance. So what too, about you... Oh go ahead. I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no. I'm not gonna let you impress your way out of this one. You first. <laughs> I was gonna say that um when you look at that from outside of the family context, um it sounds like uh it sounds silly, you know? Um like when or you patronizing. See... Yeah, exactly. Like when you see young parents who are impressed with the drawings of their kid, you're like Okay, that's not a good you. Okay, you put that on the you put that on the fridge. All right. Well, you be you. Uh, but for the parents, you're genuinely moved by the thing, and you save it in a box and put it in the attic, and then bring it down every seven years when you think about throwing away. But then ultimately determine that you're going to retain it until Jesus comes back. And it's not because you're moved by patronizing feelings or you pity your child. You're like, I wish we had a good kid, but instead our straw squiggles. But we have to defend our child from the recognition that the cruel world will bring about his ears in due time that he is, in fact, just a squiggle drawer. No, it's like your parents are like, this kid is great. The kid do squiggles. I freaking love this kid. Um, and I think that we have to enter it from that perspective, from within the family context. And then we see, you know, God isn't patronizing us. God isn't just patting us on our proverbial heads. We're doing something real. We're drawing really darn good squiggles because he gives us to draw really darn good squiggles. And they're sweet. Um, And after all, what else are we doing? You know, what's the alternative? Not drawing squiggles? Crazy talk. I want to draw squiggles. Okay, that's it. That's all I wanted to say. Perfect. Well, squiggles seems a good place to pause for a moment. And then (laughs) when we come back, we'll do more Thomism. We promise you a number of distinctions. More... (laughs) you know quasi hilarious references or at least entertaining comments more interruptions of each other as we continue to think theologically (laughs) out loud uh and an important announcement stay tuned you are listening to god's planning 
Visit us at godsplaining.org to listen to our episodes, shop our store, and donate to our podcast. All gifts go to improving the podcast and bringing the gospel to more listeners. Thanks for your support. Hello, friends. Welcome back to God's Planning. We hope you enjoyed our dazzling commercial break. (laughs) (laughs) Mixed reviews on the new sounds. Anyway, uh, as we promised, more distinctions would be offered to you. So so we started off with a very clear definition of justice. Um, We presented some analogies and showed some of the relationships that we have fundamentally, um, places where we owe things in our lives. Uh, Father Gregory, can you say a little bit more about some of the some of the fundamental distinctions that Aquinas makes? What are the different types of justice that he talks about? Uh, and here I'm thinking of the three big ones. I'm thinking of general, commutative, and distributive justice. So let's, let's do it. So I think um, the first, general justice, sometimes called legal justice, in the last 50, 60 years, you will hear it called social justice, is the justice that one owes to the common good, basically, or to speak in antiquated terms, it's it's what one owes to the polity, or it's what one owes to the state, but that's kind of more of a modern thing of the last 150 years. Basically, um, we all participate in different great societies, family, and church, and polity, and we owe a debt of justice to those things. So like in the case of family life, um, you know, your, your parents might give you an allowance every however long, two weeks or something like that, but you're not there as a wage laborer. You're there as a member of the family <clears throat> and you contribute to the family's good, not just by like doing various and sundry tasks and chores, but by being you and by loving them. And so there's a common good to the family, which is just the, the relationships which order that family. So the relationship of parents to children and children to parents, you know, children among each other, parents to each other, you know, the relationship of marriage, you know, you get this. There's all these different relationships that obtain, and there's supposed to be a kind of wholeness to that common good, a wholeness of order, effectively, that, that makes it so that those relationships conduce to the common good of the family. And um, it's such that by being you and by thinking and choosing as you do, by loving your family, by contributing to your family, you enrich the common good. And it might be the case that, let's say you have three brothers and sisters, and let's say that your you know, parents have another child or two other children or something like that, now there's six of you. You're not like upset on account of the fact that you went from having 16.667% of the common good of your family to now only having 12.5% of the common good of the family. It's not, it's not like a material thing that you just parcel out. It's something that's transcendent. It's something that diffuses its good to all the members and is itself not diminished by being partaken of. So I think that's that's kind of, that's not something that we often think about because we often think in more transactional terms, which leads us into the second category. So that'd be the one towards the common good. And then you have these two forms of justice, justice which concern more particular goods. So there's distributive justice, which is what the polity owes the individuals. So there are certain goods uh, in human society that kind of get parceled out, whether by merit or by need or things like that. So if you've fallen on hard times, right, you can make greater claims on the aid of the state, uh, different social services. Um, So that's that's one form, distributive justice. And then the other form of particular justice is called commutative justice. And that's like the justice of exchange. So that's like when you toddle down the street and you go to Aldi which exists in Switzerland, and you buy chai latte mix, you know, theoretically, something that you might have done theoretically like five days ago, uh, and the lady says something in French, and you're like, 
I hope that the amount of money that I give you is appropriate because if not, I'm going to be both confused and embarrassed. And then you look quickly at the number that appears in the cashier and then you give that to her and then she lets you walk away with your chai mix. So it's just, she has a thing and you have the money and you make an exchange. So those would be the two main categories, general, legal, social on the one hand, which concerns our contribution to the common good. And then there's particular justice on the other hand with these two different species. One is distributive, which is what a state owes to you or kind of owes in a loose sense, but how the, how the state distributes its goods among its citizens. And then commutative justice, which is the justice uh, that concerns exchange, exchange of the Aldi type. Yeah, I want to I just want to stop you right there, because I think that, you know, this first category of general justice is where where, you know, like like we've been saying, where most people would have expected, you know, something to start, right? Like you think, oh, the friars are going to talk about justice today. OK, so we talk about the justice system, you know, the mechanism of laws, according to which we try and make reparations for wrongs that are done. Um, and we t we think in terms of social justice this is talked about all the time. Um, and we use language like systemic inequality, and um, we talk about how systems are biased against certain persons. Uh, so some of these things feel just so big, like they're like they're so far away from me, and so far away from my life. Um, Father Gregory, can you say a little bit more? And you know, and I think this is kind of this is this is kind of what you were getting at um, when you were talking about the common good and the family. Can you say a little bit more about how um, how we directly? participate in just or unjust uh, systems in our everyday life? How are, we, how are we supposed to think about that and approach that in the spiritual life? Yeah, I think that the example that comes to mind is, all right, so I live in a priory of like 20, 22 men, something like that. I lose count. Uh, people moving out, people moving in. And um, uh, sometimes there are things in the house that uh, aren't up to snuff. They're not, they're not functioning optimally. Or maybe it's just something simple like a light bulb's out. Right, right now, the little dumbwaiter that we use in the kitchen to move between the, the kitchen and the dining room is broken. I mean, it's a dumbwaiter, so it's probably a thousand years old. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> let's be honest. Okay, I haven't, I haven't heard of a dumbwaiter since the last Agatha Christie novel that I read. Uh, but, you know, you, like, you got your dumbwaiter broken, you got a light bulb out, you got some things that need to be taken out in the trash. Everyone kind of has their jobs, right? So I'm responsible for taking care of things in the sacristy or for setting the table a couple of days a week and blah, 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 and thus and such. And I can treat my responsibilities in the house as if they were exhaustive. You know, so let's say that there's some, some loose end that needs to be tied up. Listen, that wasn't a portion to me as a responsibility, so I'm going to let sleeping dogs lie, even though this dog is clearly barking and it's on a very short leash and it's about to bite someone, to extend a bizarre analogy. <laughs> um but but then there's a disposition that we bring of justice towards the common good, where we think about ourselves not as contracted agents who are taking from the system and only contributing so much as we are obliged to do, but rather we approach it with a disposition of generosity, right? This is just the language of family life. And, and mind you, in family life, you do a little bit of bargaining. It's like, you know, you got a kid in daycare and... You know, it's, it's COVID tied. So for the past however many months, every time one kid in the daycare gets COVID, everyone gets sent home. And if you got two working parents who might not be doing it remotely, or even if you are doing it remotely, you know, it's like, who's, who's taking care of the kid? Or like, who's doing the next quarantine? You have to do some budgeting. Uh, but I think that the fundamental disposition is one of justice. Like, the idea is that you want to be as generous as God gives you to be. Not annoying and being like, I will sacrifice for you, my dear, because that is what I professed on the day of our marriage. You know, because if you got a, if you got a spouse like that, it's like, I'm said no one you. ever in a moment yeah. like that. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah, or said a liar always. Um, no, but <laughs> but if but if you approach the common good with this disposition of taking, then yeah, I mean things might work well enough, but it's always going to be approached like it's a zero sum game, you know. When that's not that's not the case. When everyone brings a disposition of generosity or you know like a can do spirit. That sounds so hokey, right? Things are really, things are really lovely. Um, the house, the house in which I live is actually really harmonious. You know, I, I shouldn't sound so surprised. Um, but there are a lot of men here who are very generous and it's, it's cool. Like there's this one guy and just, he likes doing odd jobs. So he just replaced all the paving stones and this little path in the garden. Our garden's not big and it's not glorious. And it's not even pretty. Um, but there's a spot where your feet get muddy if you're walking around and he just put some paving stones down. Cause why not? Cause he's a dude. That's why. Um, he also just fixed a door that got rotted out, <laughs> making it sound like our house is just falling to pieces. I mean, it kind of is. Um, <laughs> so it's a religious yeah, perhaps community. I just leave off there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. There we go. Um, no, but I, but I think we, you know, we've touched on one of the great difficulties, right? Um, that, it, so justice, you know, despite being, you know, one of the highest, the highest virtue of the ancient world, um, is in, in a, in a certain way, um, unattainable. Um, you know the, the the idea of a of a perfectly just society is rightly called utopian, uh, which is to say not to be had on this side of life. Uh, and we, we attempt in many ways to situate things. You know, and and we were doing it just now, talking about talking about material things. But we we can't allow uh, the economics of justice, such as they are, to be limited to just uh, material things. I think this is I think this is a grave risk, and this is one of the places where we where we really get stuck in our culture, where we. Where we where we where we look at evident material inequality and deduce therefore that there is something hugely wrong here. Um, I mean, I, the recent history of Ireland is a great example of this, right? Um, where where you have where you have unprecedented rise in material stability, and <laughs> followed by a, a collapse of spiritual vitality and and of of harmony of the person. So. What are what are the limits of justice? Um, where 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 are the markers here? You know, like Father Bonaventure, Father Bonaventure loves bowling, the bowling analogy, right? And he he will always talk about throwing things into the gutter. Um, but where are where are the where are the bumpers? You know, where where are the guides on either sides of the lane that are going to help us um, a, as we pursue this virtue here? Yeah, I think that um, one one thing maybe to guide the aforementioned bowling ball down the lane. Um, is to think about excess and defect, right? So there are all these different dimensions of justice, right? We are just with respect to God when we are religious. We're just with respect to parents and country when we're pious. We're just with respect to superiors when we are observant. We're just in the context of ordinary social discourse when we are, you know, grateful or amicable or truthful, things like that. You know, very simple things that we owe uh, so as to ensure that the common good remains equally accessible to all partake of it. And I think that sometimes we can be overly much and sometimes we can be underly so. So to take a simple example with like, you know, liberality, giving giving of one's money. Now, you know, people don't have infinite budgets, but I think that if you count every penny in a way that uh, becomes penny pinching, then you're less disposed to be generous, Right. So, um, mind you, do I think that that's a reason for impecuniousness? Because I wanted to say the word impecuniousness. I don't even know if it exists. Uh, no, no, I don't think so. But there should always be like a little bit of room uh, in your justice for spontaneity, for generosity, for giving of yourself to the extent that you can. 
you know, so like the widow's might. She gave not of her surplus, she gave of her substance. And I think that so too in all relationships and all demands placed by justice, we're, we're not just to give of our surplus, we're to give of our substance. Um, so there should be this, this space when it comes to, yeah, when it comes to all these different dimensions of, of seeking to kind of go beyond or seeking to go above what is asked. And uh, it's here that you see that justice and, and charity kind of bleed together, not so as to lose their proper contours and become one, you know, kind of gross and glumpy thing, uh, but that, you know, with, with friends, you give each other what he or she is due, uh, but you also don't really think in those terms, and you certainly don't uh, discuss your relationship in those terms. It's not like, you know, you call on the phone and you say, I have the expectation that we talk for an hour because I'm an hour talker. You have the expectation that we talk for 30 minutes because you're a 30-minute talker. So let's shoot for 45, okay? Like, that's like a really stilted way to start a conversation. But I think, you know, like what happens ordinarily? Sometimes you talk for longer and sometimes you talk for shorter and, you know, people will beg off for whatever reason, but you should approach it, obviously, with a disposition of genuine generosity. Like, I am for you. I give myself without counting the cost. And as a result of which, we'll, we'll, we'll see what comes of it. Does that mean like a strange boundaryless world where I never get to actually do what I want because I'm being taken advantage of or victimized? No, it doesn't mean that. Um, but I think that, yeah, just to kind of move a little bit out of the space of demanding what's yours and into the space of giving to the other of oneself. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that, that that's right. And that fundamentally contests um, the contest of rights which we're going to continue to see um, aggravated and alleviated um, because the contest of rights is what's been adopted in these post-enlightenment terms. So just one more reason why St. Thomas Aquinas and the thought of the ancients is uh, what your heart actually longs for and mm. is going to help us to, to think our way out of the Kafka traps of modernity. Uh, so I, I promise also, you know, not, not only just more distinctions, but I promise something exciting. We do, we do have a very fun announcement to make. Um, and I like doing the fun things, so I'm going to take the fun announcement, Father Gregory, and not allow you to do it. Although, I, you know, I was thinking of another thing that the fun announcement could be. I think that we should set up a debate with you and Ross Douthat and David Hart and see who could use the most circuitous vocabulary. You know, like, see who can be the least intelligible and yet exactly. sound the, the you know, sound like the highest academe. Um I want to let you know that during the context of this conversation, I suppressed the use of the word chimerical, so I feel like I should be applauded right now. <laughs> gold stars all around. God's planning gold stars. Thank you. It's a, you know, this this should be a new tradition, gold stars. <laughs> we can award them much like um, Drew Carey did on Whose Line Is It Anyways. You get one Thank for you. no reason at all. <laughs> they won't add up to anything. <laughs> You'll just continue to be on the show. Uh, great. So our, our exciting announcement, though, is that we're going to be hosting a retreat this summer. So the title of the retreat, the retreat is As It Is in Heaven, The Christian Life. And the presenters on this retreat will be yours truly, Father Patrick Mary Briscoe, Father Gregory Maria Pine, Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic, and Father Joseph Anthony Crest. You may know us as the hosts of this here podcast, God's Planning. It will be a rootin' tootin' good time. It will be hosted at the wonderful facility, I mean, a gorgeous seminary, the Seminary of the Immaculate Conception in Huntington, New York. Um, we're very excited to be there. It will be relatively easy to access from all over the country, so that's one of the reasons why we've chosen um, the seminary. It's going to be the 23rd to the 25th of July um, this summer, 
so Father Greg, you know, why do we want to have a retreat? What's it for? Who's it for? Yeah, we want to have a retreat because it is good to be together. And uh, because God's plan is a good way to kind of get a little weekly fortification, but it's short and virtual relationships are on their way towards real relationships, but you're not yet friends until you have a common life. So we want to build in that direction uh, for those who are able to make it out. And um, yeah, so we're, we're going to start small with a kind of target audience, and then the hope is to, to build out more retreats for the future. But just to see how things go, this first retreat will be for young adults, which we have loosely defined, well, somewhat, somewhat strictly defined, I guess. For it to be loosely defined, it would have to be loose, but we have pretty concrete dates. Um, so you have to be old enough to drink, and you have to be younger than the Lord was when he died. So, uh, so for, for those who are <laughs> 21 to 33, we're going to have a young adult retreat. And um, I think that we're, we'll, we'll post the information this week uh, on our website, which is godsplaining.org, and you'll find all the information there about cost, which I think is $350, uh, which does not cover airfare, but which should cover everything else, and, um, and then information there about anything else you could hope to have answered. And if they aren't answered, then you can just email us, and then we will give you an answer. Yeah, so we're hoping we're hoping to get a good group of listeners together, and um, you know, if you all listen to this podcast, you already have one thing in common already. Mm. Uh, we continue to thank all of you for your support. Um, those those of you that are benefactors of ours um, through Patreon. Um, if you're not, please consider making a donation. You know, our quality continues to get better because of your support, and it allows us to launch fun initiatives like this retreat to really make a difference in people's lives. Um, check out our merchandise. We have a store. We have things in the store. Uh, there will continue to be new things in the store, so wait for the fun Easter releases, etc. And know above all of our continued prayers for you. God bless. Thanks for listening to Godsplaining, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.